Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. Only God, only God. Well, hey, if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, as we continue our study through what is known as the Beatitudes. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus begins his very first sermon. Uh, you got to know there's weight to this, these words. There's, 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 moment, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of things that Jesus wants to unpack for humanity. And he begins his Sermon on the Mount with what's known as, as the Beatitudes. But, but this, the Sermon on the Mount is what is the best sermon, the best sermon in the history of the world. And so if this sermon stinks, make sure you read Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. You're going to get the best sermon that you've ever heard. But it starts off by addressing what you desire in your heart. It starts off by addressing what every human really wants and really longs for at the core of their being. And if we were to sit down for coffee and I would ask you, what do you hope for in life? You, a variation of answers might come, but, but ultimately someone's going to tell you at the end of the day, I just want to be, I just want to be happy. Like I want to be content. I want to find like some satisfaction, some contentment in life. And so nine times Jesus begins his sermon by saying, blessed, that this is the Greek word makarios. It, it literally means to be happy or blissful, but not happy. Like someone told you a funny joke and now you're smiling. Not, not like blissful, like like, like everything's cotton candy and rainbows, but like this, this soul satisfaction that, that, that God has for you. And he gives us these principles, these kingdom values, how this can be your life, how this can be true of who you are. Like you can wake up tomorrow and say, man, I am, I'm blessed. Like everything's not perfect, but like I have this soul satisfaction and Jesus wants you to have it. And I do too. And so we're unpacking that over these summer weeks. And so if you would, why don't you stand to your feet with me in honor of God's word. We're going to read uh, these values, these kingdom principles of how you can take hold of this, this blessed life. And if you're fairly new to Central and you're like, why are you having us stand up? Uh, here's why. Because I believe God's about to do something significant. And this is, this is our way of telling our bodies, man, get ready. Get ready. God's going to speak to you. Every time we open God's word, he's going to speak to you. And some of you here, you're followers of Jesus, been following God for a long time. He's got something fresh for you today. And some of you, you stumbled into church. You're not even sure where you land on the whole Jesus deal. I'm just telling you, God's going to speak to you today. Not because I'm that good, but because God's word is that good. And so here's what Jesus says. I'm going to read the first seven verses. When we get to verse seven, it's going to be highlighted in red on the screen. And if you could, really loud, really proud, read that out loud with me. Here's the key to the blessed life. Now Jesus saw the crowd and he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them saying, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now verse seven, really loud, really proud. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Father, we thank you for your word that leads us and guides us, gives us direction and purpose in our lives so that we can be the people you created us to be and be the people that we always long to be, God, that we would experience the blessed life you offer. Help us not just to understand today, help us to apply what you teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. 
What is mercy? Webster's Dictionary defines mercy as compassionate or kindly forbearance. What is, I don't know when the last time you used the word forbearance means, but, but, but forbearance literally means to overlook an offense. And so we're going to be compassionate towards an offender. We're going to look past some things that our enemy has done or other people that are under our power. Like you have the, the power to act, but you choose not to. To put very simply, and this is where your notes begin, mercy is with, with, withholding from someone the wrath that they deserve. Like, like they, they hurt you and it's in your power to act and hurt them, but you're going to choose not to. Here's what justice is. The next fill in the blank. Justice is giving someone what they deserve. And I don't know about you, but when it comes to my relationship with God, I don't want justice because I know what I deserve. I know, but God, would you have mercy on me? Don't give me the, I, I know I'm worthy of wrath, but God, would you give me mercy? Grace then is giving someone what they don't deserve. And God is full of mercy. He's full of grace. Aren't you thankful he doesn't treat you like your sins deserve? Aren't you thankful he's gracious to you and he doesn't owe you anything, but he pours out blessings that we don't deserve? God's been so, so good to us. But if we're to be honest, this is needed and necessary in our culture. And Jesus invites us into this new way of living amidst, an, this is going to be an upstream swim, but, but in a, we live in a culture that's quick to cancel you, quick, quick to block you. Oh, they're looking for you to screw up so they can pounce on you and acknowledge everything that you did wrong and have nothing else to do with you ever again. And in the midst of that, Jesus invites us in the middle of this climate to be people of, of mercy, to give people what they withhold what they, they deserve and give them grace that they don't deserve. And for to be honest, we've become very good judges of other people and very good lawyers of ourselves. Like we're quick to say like, Tony, you did this, 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 and this. And I did the same thing, but let me tell you, it was a bad day. Let me tell you, it's because my family of origin. Let me, I screwed up, yeah, but here's why. They did this, that, and we, we become, we defend ourselves, but we're quick to judge and lash out at other people, and again, Jesus invites us into a different way of living and a different way of thinking. It's been a while since I told you a redneck joke, so here goes. Um, so Bubba, he goes to get coffee at this gas station every day, and uh, he meets some buddies there, and they, they go around, they, they sip on gas station coffee, and Michael would hate it, but Bubba loves it. And, uh, and so Bubba goes, and he goes, and his, one of his friends is Frank, and Frank, every time he sees Frank, Frank slaps him on the chest, hey, Bubba, how you doing? So Bubba walks into the gas station this day, but, but today he has this big lump under his shirt. And so his, his friends are like, Bubba, what is, what's under your shirt? He said, I'll tell you what's under this shirt right here. This shirt right here has got dynamite under my shirt, because here's why. When Frank slapped my chest, I'm going to blow his hand off. <laughs> Thank you, Melissa. I appreciate that. But the principle is this, like, like you can try to blow someone else's hand off, but in doing so, you're going to blow a hole in your chest cavity. And the same is true when we withhold mercy from other people because they offended you and it was wrong. I'm not justifying that. They hurt you and they shouldn't have. But you're, you're, sometimes in an attempt to lash out, we withhold mercy. But in doing so, we're just like Bubba walking in for his favorite cup of bad coffee. So how, how do we live motivated to show mercy? How can we show people mercy on a day-to-day -day basis? What's the motivation for that? And I'll just be real honest with you. I'm processing this in real time. Uh, someone has, has hurt me deeply. I've lost sleep this week over this situation. And, 
And so I've been praying, God, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to withhold. God, I want to show him mercy. How do I do that? And how do I help all of us do that? And here's, what I'm, here's where I'm landing. Number one, I think it's important for me. It helps me to remember how merciful God's been to me. When we remember how merciful God's been to us, it motivates us to be merciful to other people. The first four Beatitudes are these values that Jesus highlights, that these are kingdom principles. If you're gonna, if we're going to live as subjects of the kingdom, we're going to live as Christians and do things God's way, then these first four Beatitudes are, are pivotal for us to live out. But then he pivots here in, in verse 7, and he talks about kind of these manifestations of these, these, these principles. Whenever we do live it out, here, here's what's going to happen. And so he talks about in first Beatitude, remember, what was blessed are those who are poor in spirit, in other words, we realize we're spiritually bankrupt before a holy and just God. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the way that you know you're living that out is blessed because you're merciful. Because you'll receive mercy. When we realize that how merciful God's been to us, it motivates us to be merciful to, to other people. And we need to remember how merciful God's been to us, not just sometimes. Not just when we're processing pain, not when someone's just, not just when someone's really offended you and you need to forgive them. You're trying to figure out how to do that. No, we need to remember how merciful God's been every day. And I don't know if you've ever heard of the Lord's Prayer, or maybe you've said the Lord's Prayer before, but, but I would suggest to you that the Lord's Prayer isn't just um, uh, something that we recite back to God. I don't think that's why Jesus gave us that prayer. I think he gave it to us as a model of prayer. Like as we follow these, these practices in prayer is what I think God had, had in mind. And so here's the Lord's prayer. This then is how you should pray on a daily basis. This is how we should pray. It should start with our father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed means holy. And so we start prayer every day by acknowledging God, you're awesome. God, you're holy. Like you, you created the heavens and the earth and yet you know me, God. You're, you're worthy of worship, God. You've been so faithful. And we just begin worshiping God for who he is. That's where prayer begins. And then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, we recognize that he's God and I'm not. And so it's not really about my agenda, it's about his agenda. And so God, today, what do you want me to do? God, who do you want me to talk to? How, how you, do I need to write a card to someone? Do I need to send an email? Do I need to grab lunch? Who, who, how can I bring your kingdom down to earth? How can I live out your, your kingdom today? Then he says, give us today our daily bread. And this is where you talk to God about what you need. What's going on in your life? How do you need God to help you? And then he says this in verse 12, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Daily remind us, God, I've offended you and I'm sorry. But God, also there's some people that have offended me and I'm gonna forgive them too. This word debt is only used two times in the New Testament. And right here, it literally means an insurmountable debt. So don't think like a car payment or a house payment or something that you can actually pay off. He's saying, God, you for, forgive us our insurmountable debt as some people have done some things to us that has really hurt me and is unforgivable too. But God, you've forgiven me. So God, I'm going to release them. The New Century Version puts it this way. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. To sin simply means to miss the mark. Like God has a standard. When I don't live up to that standard, I've sinned. But here's the deal for you. You have standards. You have expectations of people. And when people don't meet your standards, when they don't meet your expectations, it's, they've missed the mark. They've, they've, in that sense, sinned against you. 
And here's what, what Jesus says. He says, he says, man, if you want God to forgive you, you better pay attention because he's going to forgive just as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And I don't know about you, but God's forgiveness in my life looks really good. But forgiving people that have really hurt me is the last thing I want to do. But it's top priority in God's economy. I think one of our challenges when it comes to forgiveness is that if we think we can earn God's forgiveness, then we'll make other people earn our forgiveness. But whenever I realize, God, I didn't have to earn your forgiveness. You've been so merciful to me. God, God, I didn't do anything, and yet you forgave me, God. So, so it increases my capacity. Give me the capacity to extend a little mercy in the middle of this, this situation. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 says this. Help me out with this red letter word. But God's his mercy is so abundant, and his love for us is so great, that while we were spiritually dead, now let me just ask you, a real theological question. What can a dead person do? Nothing, nothing. And that's what he's saying. Before God, spiritually speaking, we could do nothing to attain right relationship with God, to engage him in a right. I, I, I was spiritually dead, but in that spiritually dead situation and our disobedience, he, in the middle of that, he brought us to life with Christ. And it's by God's grace that you've been saved. He's given you something that you don't deserve. He's withheld from you everything that you do deserve because of our disobedience, but God's rich in mercy and he extends grace to help in our time of need. And he invites us to live that lifestyle with people around us. And, and here's the deal. You don't have to. Let me just start there. You don't have to do any of this, but the life you wanted is on the other side of it. He invites us to this lifestyle to be merciful because in doing so, we, we open ourselves up to receive mercy. So we remember how merciful God's been to us. Second thing that's helping me this week, how do we live motivated to show mercy? We remember that we'll face God one day. It helps me to remember that there's coming a day, God's gonna call my number. My days are numbered and one day, Tim Perkins, we need you. Okay, here I am, Lord, yes. What'd you do, Tim? How'd you live your life? And I don't know if you've ever had a test. I don't know if you ever had a professor or a teacher. Like, like they taught you a whole bunch of stuff. But when it came time for the test, nothing they taught was on the test. And you're like, what's up with this? Like, how am I supposed to pass this test? You didn't even tell me about it. And this is a little bit heavy, but, but this is going to be on the test. There's coming a day you're going to stand before God. And here's what he's going to want to know about you. How'd you do in this area? Here's what Jesus said. Matthew 6, 14, for if you forgive, this is going to be on the test. If you forgive men when they sin against you and they don't meet your expectations, your heavenly father will also forgive you when you don't meet his expectations. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. I mean, this is a big deal in the mind and eyes of God. Forgiveness, mercy, it matters. Peter, he, he sees Jesus' lifestyle and he, he has a question. He's like, okay, God, like you're super forgiving. You're super merciful. Like how, but how many times, God, like he did me wrong and he did me wrong again. So like how many times should I forgive him? Like, like maybe seven times? Like he's, he's reaching for a really big number. Like seven times, Jesus, is that? 
Would that suffice? And he's like, no, not seven times, but I tell you, 70 times seven. That's how many times you're to forgive. 490 times. So Peter, if you never sleep in a 24-hour day, you're to forgive someone every three minutes. Like over and over and over, we forgive. That doesn't mean we don't have boundaries. It doesn't mean we, we put ourselves in vulnerable positions with people that hurt us again and again. No, no, no. But it just means we take the barbs out of our heart and set them aside. We show mercy. And to, to teach on this, again, Jesus tells this parable. And like we talked about in week one, this is just his first sermon. And so he's introducing these kingdom principles, but he expounds on them throughout all of his teachings. And so here again, in, in chapter 18, he's like, Peter, you got to forgive him 70 times seven. He's like, let me tell you a story, Peter. He says, there's this ruler, right? And, and this ruler, he was real wealthy and he, he would loan people money, but he, he had to call some accounts in. He needed people to pay back his money. So he called in this guy who owed him uh, 10,000 talents. And you're like, Tim, that doesn't mean anything to me. In our modern day language, it would be billions of dollars, an insurmountable debt, like billions and billions of dollars. And if that's not a large amount of money to you, then, then let's talk after service because we've got some missions projects, we've got lots of campuses, we've got some stuff we're trying to do here. But bill, billions of dollars is what he owed this guy. And he's like, you got to pay me back. And if you don't, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sell your wife off as a slave so she can work to pay me back. I'm going to sell your kids off as slaves so they can work to pay me back. I'm going to sell you into slavery until you pay me back what you owe me. And you got to imagine the emotion of this moment. This dad's going to see his family ripped apart. And he's like, no, don't do that. Ha have mercy on me. The ruler's like, okay, I will. I give you mercy. Debt's forgiven. Then the man immediately goes outside and he sees someone who owes him some money. Owes him a hundred denarii, the Bible says. And I, ah, denarii, I don't know what that means. It's three months wages. And so it's not an astronomical amount of money, but it's not a small amount of money. Three months wait, a quarter of a year, that's substantial money. This guy just had his debt erased and he goes to that man, grabs him by the throat and he's like, you owe me, pay me back my money. And if you don't, I got this idea, I'm gonna sell your wife into slavery. I'm gonna sell your kids, I'm gonna sell you into slavery until you pay me back. And he said the same exact word, please, sir, have mercy on me. But he doesn't. And here's what Jesus says in Matthew 18, 32. Then the master, the first one, called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all your debt of yours because you begged me to. Now here's the deal. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned away to the jailer, sent him to be tortured until he could pay back what he owed. And here's the kingdom principle, verse 35. This is how your heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Not easy. Swimming upstream. Very countercultural value. But the blessed life is found in obedience to this. And it's going to be on your test. So make sure you're ready for it. James was rifting on Matthew chapter 5, 7, whenever he said these words in James 2, 13. You must show mercy to others or God will not show mercy to you when he judges you. The person who shows mercy can stand before God without fear of judgment. And I so want that for you. 
You don't need to be afraid of judgment day. You don't need to be afraid to stand before God. It should be this joyous thing we look forward to with eager anticipation because we're living out kingdom values today. And we're, we're just, we've got this ministry of mercy that we're dispensing everywhere we go. Let it be true of us when we stand before God that we love too much rather than we judge too harshly. Let it be true of us that, man, we just, we love people so much. Now, we didn't judge people. Too. I don't think God will ever say, well, Michelle, I'm really, ups- I'm really puzzled. You just loved people too much. Like, I, don't, I just don't think that's going to come from the heart of God. I don't think people are going to say, Ray, wow, you extended too much grace, Ray. You should have been a little bit more judgmental down there on earth. I don't think it's possible. You see Jesus over and over again rebuking religious leaders because they judge too harshly. You never see just once condemning or or being critical of someone because they loved too much. But Jesus is judged for that repeatedly. Let it be true of us. We love people too much. You let them, you let those people, yeah, we did. You you let them, yeah, God, I don't know. I I was just trying to love people like you. I mean, got me, you know. Let it be true of us, right? Micah 6, 8, he has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Here's what the Lord requires of you. Act justly. Do what's right. Love, mercy, and walk humbly with your God. C.S. Lewis put it this way. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in me. And this is hard. This is deep into the pool stuff. What they did was inexcusable. What they did was wrong. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not trying to overshadow it, not trying to gloss over it. I'm not trying to justify it. It's wrong. But God has been merciful to the inexcusable things I have done too. And we're called to follow his example. So that's two motivations to extend mercy. They're just helping me this week. I hope to help you. Here's four, four people, four areas where we're called to show mercy. Who, who are we called to show mercy to? Number one, to those who make mistakes called to extend mercy to people who make mistakes. Uh, it was this husband and wife, and they're celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. And, uh, you know, the natural question, when you hear someone that's been married for over 50 years, your first question is like, how do you do it? Like, give, a, give your boy some help here. How do we do this thing? Right? And so these grandkids go to the grandma, like, grandma, how, 50 years of marriage, that's amazing. What's your secret? And she said, well, that's easy. Before I married your grandpa, I just thought, man, I'm going to make a list of 10 things that he does that irritate the fire out of me. And I'm going to write those down. Whenever he does one of those 10 things, I'm just going to overlook them. They said, Grandma, that's amazing. Tell us your list. Like, what does Grandpa do that irritates you? She said, you know what? I never got around to writing them down. So every time he made a mistake, I just said, well, lucky for him, that's one of the 10. Lucky for him, that's one of the 10. And you know what? I bet she was the most happy, joyful grandma. I bet her marriage, like she didn't hang on to stuff. She was able to forgive and let it go. She extended mercy. James 2.13 says, mercy wins. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You can be very judgmental. And a lot of people are. But mercy wins over judgment every Every time. Who, do we, who are we called to show mercy to? We're called to show mercy to those who let us down. And this is where it gets personal. Because people let you down. And people hurt you. People say things that really cut. 
And whether they mean to or not, it hangs with you. And you can consider the source, but the words still reverberate in your mind. You're like, I don't know. And they, they, they let you down. But think about Jesus. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends. Denied by his buddy that said, I'm your rider. I'm your ace. I'll be here till the end. I don't even know him. He was unjustly tried. He was beaten, whipped, spat upon, stripped naked, paraded through the streets, humiliated, and then executed on a cross, the most brutal form of execution in human history. And what's the first thing that Jesus says as he's standing, he's on the cross, wouldn't be very high up off the ground, it'd be like this, like eye level. And he looks at those who have just executed him. He's suffering at their hands. And what does he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he models for us in the midst of extreme pain, in the midst of unjust circumstances, how we're to conduct our lives, how we can make it through a bad day and remove the barbs that other people have done to let us down. Colossians 3, 12 through 13 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Here's how you're called to live. He says, clothe yourselves. Now this morning, uh, whenever you guys got up, uh, how many of you had clothes jump on you? Like, it was just like, you just opened the closet and like, like, like Mary Poppins or something, just like, boom, yay, here I am, right? No, you, you clothed yourself. You're like, like, I, like my boy Keith, I'm gonna wear this sweet shirt because <laughs> she's gonna love it when I, yes. He chose it. It's brilliant. Yes, do it. You chose what you're wearing. You're looking good too. Nice choice. But you clothed yourself. And I think oftentimes we think, we think compassion is going to jump on us. We think kindness is just going to jump on us. Humility is going to hop on my back. Like, like, like patience. Oh, I, God, give me patience. Like he's just going to slap some clothes on you. No, no, no. Paul, the Bible says you clothe yourself with these things. You got to make a choice. I'm going to put this on today. As God's holy people, dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. It's a choice. Bear with each other. In other words, don't be quick to cancel. Someone offended you, go talk to them. Don't just, don't just cut them out. Don't stonewall them. You got to figure it out. You got to do as far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. Bear with each other. And here it is. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive. Let them go. Literally means to let them off the hook. That, yeah, bad example. I was thinking about fishing. You ever take a fish off the hook? <laughs> like you can put the fish in the frying pan, you can throw them back in the lake. Let them go. Catch and release. That's what we're called to do. Catch and release. Forgive whatever grievances, not big, just big things, but, but small things. People that miss the mark. And I think a lot of people die by death of a thousand cuts. And some things are small and like they, they offended you. Then rather than address it, you just like, ah, let it go. Then all of a sudden someone says one thing and you, you blow up. You're like, where'd that come from? Well, it was all these grievances that were left unaddressed. You got, got to forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. And here's, where, here's the invitation forgive. How are we to forgive? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Not easy. Deep into the pool. The blessed life you've always longed for is on the other side of it, though. Max Lucado wrote a book basically unpacking this beatitude and, 
And how do we show mercy? And what does that even look like? And here's what he said. He said, unfaithfulness is wrong. And some of you have been on the receiving end of that. And I just want you to know it's wrong. I'm not justifying it. It's wrong. Unfaithfulness is wrong. But revenge is worse. But the worst part of all that is without forgiveness, bitterness is all that's left. And I know you don't want to be a bitter person. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. And the only alternative to bitterness is forgiveness. And Jesus is just inviting us to step into that today. Who are we called to show mercy to? Here's the third one. We're called to show mercy to those who are far from God. We're called to show mercy to those who are far from God. And I always wanted to be a part of a church that would just embrace people far from God. I want to be a part of a church where the climate was radical grace. And I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful that whenever you see people on this campus that you don't know, you don't just say, well, there's another new person. I don't know them. They're probably far from God. But no, you go and you introduce yourself. You're like, Raul, what's up? Hey, what, uh, how's the, what's going on? Or hey, I don't know you. What, what's your name? Where you, how'd you hear about Central? What's your spiritual background? You engage and you make them feel, feel welcome, make them feel at home, make them feel like they belong. We extend mercy to people who are, who are far from God. I'll never forget one of the first times I went to church as an adult, um, it was Mother's Day. And uh, so my mom, I wasn't going to church. I was far from God. And my mama, mom, you got so much influence. You don't even know. Uh, all the moms in the room, leverage it. My mom, so it was Mother's Day. And I was like, mama, what do you want for Mother's Day? And she's like, well, Tim, the only thing I'd really love is for my family to be together in church. I'm like, dang it, mom. Anything else? <laughs> can, can I buy you something? Uh, so I was like, okay, mom, I'll go to church. And, and I wasn't living at home. I had about an hour drive to get there. And so I was doing some stuff on the way up. And I show up to church not looking like I should go to church. I showed up at church smelling like Snoop Dogg or Cheech and Chong from a previous generation. And so you know, people could have said like, you, you don't belong here, Tim. I, I talked to this guy at the door. He could have said, Tim, you need to turn around and go back to that vehicle because you're about to embarrass your mama on Mother's Day. You, you should, you, Tim, you don't really fit in here. So like, this is a church and whatever you're doing ain't church. And so, so like, go back to your car. And I'd, I'd probably been like, you're right. Yeah, I should do that. I'll just go back to my car. But you know what this guy did? He talked to me like I was his favorite person in the world. He, he made me feel like he had never met someone so important as me. And I didn't realize at the time, but he was just being Jesus to me. He was just modeling for me what it looks like to be a lover of God, someone who's extending mercy to people who are far from God. And I'm so thankful for you, Central Family, because you do the same. And someday someone's going to be sharing a story on a stage like this. They might not remember your name. They'll say, I remember him first. I was like Central Christian Church or something in San Jose. I was expecting to be ambushed by judgment. You know what they said about me? They said my smile could earn a million bucks. Can you believe that? They just said, spoke life over me. And I didn't realize it at the time, but years later, everything that Harold was saying was true of me at the time actually became my life. He just believed something in me that I couldn't believe in myself. And I'll never forget that man. The impact that he had on my life because he chose to love someone far from God and were invited to show mercy to the same people. Here's what we need to know. Jesus always connected before he corrected. 
We can be very quick to correct. Here's what you're doing wrong. Here's what you're doing wrong. Here's what you're doing wrong. But have we connected with the person yet? Do we even know their story? Like Jesus, he, he calls for radical life change. Like this, this woman, he said, to this woman, he said, go and sin no more. Like that's pretty high standard. Don't sin anymore. Wow. Okay, here we go. But he said it to someone who he just saved her life. Like she was caught in the act of adultery and these dudes were ready to kill her by throwing rocks at her head. And Jesus saved her. He connected with her. And then he said, hey, your lifestyle, we got to address this. Jesus always connected before he corrected and we're invited to do the same thing. Matthew 9, 10 through 13. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with him and his disciples. And so sinners, like tax collectors, they're like outcast in this society. And here's what, Jesus didn't just, just like shake their hand. He said, hey, you look like you're far from God. How about dinner? <laughs> How about coffee? Hey, Matthew, you're rich. Let's go to your house. You probably got good food. So he goes to Matthew's house. He has a meal with them, which was significant in this culture. But when the religious leaders saw it, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. And this is my invitation to you this week. Go and learn what this means. I'll try my best to communicate it, but study it, think about it, meditate on it. Go and learn what this means. This is the heart of God. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, not people who think they have it all together, but sinners who know they're broken. Because those are the ones who are poor in spirit. Those are the ones who know they're bankrupt before a holy God. And those are the ones that are gonna experience the kingdom of heaven. So we're called to show mercy to those who make mistakes, those who let us down, those who are far from God. And this last one might be a little bit of a surprise but I think perhaps the hardest person to show mercy to isn't your wife, isn't your spouse, isn't that one who offended you. Sometimes the hardest person to show mercy to is ourselves. And God invites you today to show yourself a little bit of mercy. Give yourself a little bit of grace, catch and release, let yourself off the hook again. A lot of times people feel like David did in Psalms 38, Four through eight, he says, I'm drowning in a flood of my sin. I, they're a burden to me and, and heavy, too heavy to bear because I've been foolish. Like I, it's no one's fault, but mine, I blew it. And not just a little bit, I really blew it. My mistake is now impacting a whole lot of other people. I'm so foolish. He says, I'm utterly worn out and crushed. My heart is troubled. A lot of people carry that. A lot of people don't show themselves any mercy. Maybe you, you, you move past it. Maybe it's not as sharp of an emotion as it once was, but I'm just inviting you today, show yourself a little mercy. Here's the invitation. If God has forgiven you, if you've experienced the radical grace of Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ, you believe before God, your sins have been forgiven, past, present, future. Bible says as far as the East is from the West, so far as he removed our sin and transgressions from us. If you believe that, then maybe you should start imitating God. Just as he's forgiven you, maybe it's time to forgive yourself. Let yourself off the hook. 
Here's something I was thinking about this week. You, know, you hear the saying that disappointment's the gap between expectation and reality, right? Now that, that's in your notes. The, the, gap, the disappointment, when you experience disappointment in a relationship, in your marriage, at work, and talking to someone on the patio, at their barista at Starbucks, <laughs> the disappointment. You didn't make my whatever latte like I wanted. It's like this, here's the reality. Now this gap is my disappointment. A lot of times we feel like, man, God, I, I did my ex your expectation of me was here, but God, I, I disappointed you. Matter of fact, my expectation of myself was up here and I, I disappointed myself. And now you live with this tension. And I would just, something to think about. There's a theological term, this attribute of God, that God is omniscient. It's called the omniscience of God. Uh, omni means all. Science means knowledge. He's all knowledgeable. Like God knows everything. The Bible talks about how he's like the beginning and the end. He knows the first and he knows the last. He sees it all outside of time and space. He's seen your life. He's seen what you would do, the good times, the not so good times. And here's what I want you to think about. Before the foundations of the earth, he knew you. Ephesians 2.10 says, says you're created, you're a masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good things. He created you to do good work. You have purpose and meaning in this life. It says that he prepared for you before the foundation. So before the earth was formed, he knew you. And here's what I want you to know. He called you his son. He adopted you as his daughter. He says, that's the one I love. They're going to be a part of my family. And you say, yeah, but I blew it. And I've disappointed God. Here's what I think. I think God already knew it and he chose you anyway and he loved you anyway and he lets you off the hook and he extends mercy to you. So maybe you can extend some mercy to yourself. I close with this, 1 Timothy 13. This is Paul writing to his apprentice towards the end of Paul's life. He says this, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor, I was a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Here it is, the grace. I didn't deserve it, but he poured out so much goodness. The grace of God was poured out on me abundantly along with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Now here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am. I'm the worst I know. And I would just suggest based on personal experience, you're probably the worst sinner you know. Because you know how many times you thought that thought. You know how many times you did that thing. You know how many times you acted that way. Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. But it's for this very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his ultimate patience as an example to those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul's like, if he can forgive me, he can forgive you. If he's been merciful to me, like it's not a big thing for him to forgive you. He's like, I'm a trophy of God's radical grace. And maybe instead of living in shame from what you've done, maybe it's time to say, you know what? God's been gracious to me. I'm a trophy of his grace. And if he can extend mercy to me, he can extend mercy to you. If he can extend forgiveness to me, he'll extend forgiveness to you. And allow what once kept you in hiding to, to come out and use it as a platform of ministry to help other people experience God's radical grace. 
And Paul's like so excited about this. He busts into what theologians call a doxology. It's like this declaration, this song. Here's what it is. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for love and radical grace. God, we thank you.